Thank you for tuning in to our North Point Community Church podcast. Wherever you are in your faith journey, we pray that as you listen to this message, you will be encouraged and empowered. If you would like more information about our community, visit our website at ncc.team. We've been in a series now, and we're going to go all the way through the end of the year. This is going to be like the longest series in North Point Community Church history. Um, It's going on like nine months, okay? We've been talking about the key figures of the Bible, and we thought we were just going to, you know, kind of go through the Old Testament. Then we just said, no, let's just go ahead and take it all the way through the New Testament. And so we've been, we've been going through, we got a little graphic here. So this is just a little Bible timeline. And, and uh, we started with the patriarchs, with Abraham. That's actually where we started in Genesis chapter 12. And so we worked through uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and uh, then, then we got into, uh, into uh, Joseph and, and Exodus of Moses going in and bringing the people out. We talked about Joshua as they went into the promised land. Uh, the land that was flowing with milk and honey, they began to drive out the enemies. They established uh, that place as their place. And then the judges began to rule. And then the people of God said, no, we want to be like the other nations around here. We think it's pretty cool. They have kings, and we don't really have a king, so we would like uh, to put a king in. And so that's whenever they, uh, uh, Samuel anointed Saul to be the first king. And then maybe you've heard of David, King David. Uh, he's probably the most famous king in all of Israel, David and Goliath. He was the second king of Israel. Solomon, his son, was the third king. And then the kingdom begins to uh, divide and split. And then eventually they go into exile. They're conquered by the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And uh, they, they, are, they are pulled out of their land. And then they return to their land. And so all of this is in the history. All this is in your Old Testament. And then uh, we talked about Malachi. And that was the last Old Testament figure that we talked about because uh, he was believed to be the last person that re- he was a prophet. And he, we, he was believed to be the last person that really spoke before 400 years of silence before Jesus Christ came onto the scene. And then we read the stories of Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your Bible. They, they tell the story of Jesus on the earth. And so that's the Gospels. And then we see the church begin to establish and the church begin to be advanced in, in, in the book of Acts. And, and then when you get into missions, you see that, that, that is really, uh, that's really where we're living today. We are still living in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is 28 chapters in your Bible, but the book of Acts is still happening today. It's the advancement of the kingdom of God around the world. And so uh, we got into the New Testament and we've talked about Mary and John the Baptist and uh, some of the disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John. Last, uh, last time I preached, uh, we talked about the Apostle Paul. And tonight we're going to be talking about James, the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus. Now there are lots of, of Jameses in Scripture. And uh, as you go through, uh, man, the, the James, the, the brother of John. We, we talked about him um, just a few weeks ago. Uh, James and John. James, the brother of John, uh, he, was, he was a disciple of Jesus, and he was known as James the Greater. James the Greater. And he was known as James the Greater because there was uh, another James, the son of Alphaeus, and, and he was kind of in the tribe of Jesus as well, and he was known as James the Lesser. How would you like to have been him, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, everybody's like, there's James the Greater, and there's the other James, the lesser. Uh, they, they say that it was because the, the other James was the older. So he was the greater, he was the oldest, and then the other one was the youngest. And so he got named the lesser. Uh, but man, that just, just 
Thank God you're not him. And then there's James, the brother of Jesus, and, and he was known as James the Just. James the Just. And, and James the Just, the brother of Jesus, he would eventually be the leader of the church in Jerusalem. But before he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he was a brother of Jesus, growing up in the same home that Jesus grew up in, Joseph and Mary's house. The Bible says this in Mark chapter 6, verse 1. It says that Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed, and they said, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary. He's the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simeon. And his sisters live right here among us in this town. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. So here in the scripture, we see that, that, that James was a brother of Jesus and that Jesus did not have any honor there in his hometown, among his relatives, or in his own family. And you have to ask yourself, before we just go, golly, how could they not honor Jesus? You have to think, what would it must have been like to be a brother of Jesus? I mean, and James is listed first in all the different places in Scripture where, where it lists uh, the brothers. James is listed first, which is believed, uh, scholars believe that James was the oldest brother, that he was the one that followed right after Jesus. And so, uh, so you have to think, what would it have been like to follow Jesus? I mean, like, what, what were some of the things that, that, G, that his mother might have said? You know, like, James, why can't you just be kind like your brother Jesus? I mean, it's like, he is love. You know, how am I ever going to win that battle? Or what about Joseph? Joseph working out there in the shop, being the carpenter and saying, James, why do you keep on making the same mistakes? Your brother has been out here for years and he's never made one. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, what? but he's God. He created the whole universe, the mountains. I can't make a table. You know, what about being a teacher in the school? You know, like, what would a teacher have said uh, to James? James, you know, you, you can't even do simple addition, and your brother was doing multiplication right now. And I'm not talking about multiplication on pen and paper. I'm talking about he was multiplying food at lunch when we didn't have enough. Like, what, why can't you just be a little bit more like your brother? I mean, you, you start feeling a little sorry for, for, for poor James. I mean, growing up with the Savior of the world, growing up in the same house with the Son of Almighty God, it could not have been easy and it would have been easy not to believe. In John chapter 7, it, it says this in verse 3. It says, And Jesus' brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. They're scoffing at him a little bit. You can't, uh, you can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Even his brothers didn't believe in him. James did not believe that Jesus was who 
he claimed to be. Why? Because there was too much history. There was too much history. There was too much familiarity. I mean, growing up in the same, this is your brother. I mean, come on. Now, you, you, your brother is out here healing and saying, like, you just have to step back and go, but wait, wait a minute. Man, I, oh, we grew up in the same house. Too, too much familiarity. And then there's too much popularity. I mean, let's just go there. Now, now your brother is famous. You know, I mean, now you're, everybody is wanting to, to see your brother and hear from your brother and bringing the sick people to your brother. And so not only is there too much familiarity, but now there's too much popularity. And you're like, man, I can't deal with either one of these. And so I'm just going to push Jesus away and I'm going to choose not to believe. But this is what the scripture tells us. It tells us that James had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. James did not believe in Jesus. It said it clearly there in John chapter 7. But he has an encounter with the resurrected Christ and it changes everything in James's life. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. You see, he went from not believing to becoming a pillar of the church after he witnessed the resurrected Christ. After he saw Jesus in his resurrected form, everything changed. Why? Because when he saw Jesus resurrected, Jesus was full of grace and no judgment. You're the same one that scoffed at me. You're the same one that didn't believe in me. You're the same one that rejected me. And Jesus showed up to James and he was full of grace and no judgment. He was full of forgiveness and no vengeance. He didn't want to get even with James. He didn't want to, he didn't want to do anything to James. No, he showed up full of forgiveness for James. He showed up full of love and hope. Even in the midst of James's skepticism, Jesus showed up full of grace, full of love, full of acceptance. And it was the power of this resurrected Savior, this resurrected brother. It was the resurrected Christ that gave James this life-changing experience Experience, it turned his life all the way around. Because when Jesus showed up for James, he, he showed up and, and, and his bitterness and his skepticism and his criticism, it all took a back seat to the nail-scarred hands of the Savior. Everything that James thought before, it took a back seat to the reality of what was standing before him. And I'm so glad today that Jesus still shows up for the skeptic. Jesus still shows up to the critic. Jesus still shows up to the one that says, I don't believe. Jesus still shows up to James as all over the world today. And when he, when he shows up in the power of his resurrection, full of grace and love and mercy and truth, people have life-changing experiences all over the world every day. Why? Because they encounter the resurrected Son of God, the Savior of all the world. And it changes us the same way that it changed James. I want to take a look tonight at, at, at what James has to say to us. James is the author 
of one epistle or one letter in the Bible. And he was writing this letter uh, to Jewish Christians who were scattered all over the area. And, and his letter, as you read his letter, you read the book of James, it's, it deals way more with Christian ethics than it really does Christian theology. And, and one of the themes that you read in the book, it, it's the outworking of faith, uh, the external evidence of, of internal conversion. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But the thing that I love about the book of James is that it's so practical. It, it shares so many practical things that we should all be aware of in our faith journey. And to me, the book of James reads a lot like the useful wisdom of the book of Proverbs. It is simple, it is direct, it is straightforward truth. It's one of the books where it's easier to read than it actually is to live out. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's easy to read. You agree with it. You're like, yeah, 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 that would be awesome. But man, that's really hard to do. And the more you read James, the more you see that. But all that James really wants is he really wants those reading this letter to mature in their faith in Christ by living what they say they believe. That's, that's the heartbeat of this letter. I want you to live out what you say. I know you believe this, but now I want you to mature in your faith in such a way that you can begin to live this out on a daily basis. Uh, quickly tonight, let's look at five life lessons that we can learn from James and, and his letter. The first is this, humility. And he starts right in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he, he identifies himself as a slave of Jesus Christ, not the brother of Jesus Christ. He, he doesn't identify himself even as the, the, the bishop of the church of Jerusalem. That's not the way that he chooses to identify himself. And you see, I believe it's because the grace of Christ had so humbled him that he could not be puffed up to even say, hey, you need to listen to me because I'm the brother of Jesus. We were raised in the same home. Hey, you need to listen to me because I am the leader of the church of Jerusalem. No, I believe that the grace of Jesus, the power of Jesus showing up to him, it had so humbled him and broken him down that he said, the rest of my life I will live as your servant. And I believe the other side of this is that he watched Jesus, the Son of God, live in humility in their home. Just think about that for a moment. He watched Jesus. Now he knows that Jesus is who he said he was. Now he has seen the nail scar. Now he sees that his brother defeated death, hell, and the grave. Now he has witnessed it himself, and he said, wow, Look at the humility that he lived with in the home. He never acted like he was better than any of us. He served his mom. He served our family. Looking back, he lived with so much humility, and now James is saying, I'm going to live the same way that my brother lived. I'm going to live in humility. And, you know, instead of wanting to identify ourselves with our gifts and our talents and our strengths, what if we today found our sole identity in our position as a servant of God? What if we didn't find our identity in what we did well? We just found our identity in who we were, a servant 
of the living God. And I don't, I don't mean this externally. I really mean this internally. I'm not talking about saying the right things to your coworkers or saying the right things to your friends at church. I'm talking about believing the right things every morning when you wake up. You see, it's not that our gifts make us valuable. It's that his grace makes us valuable. You see, and whenever we begin to internally find our value, not in what we're good at, not in what we do well, not in our talents, not in our gifts, but our value is found in his grace and in his grace alone. Our value is found in the fact that he chose to love us and he poured out his love for us. And I find my value in that and in that alone. So now it's no longer about what I do well. It's all about what I have received freely from him and because I have received something freely from him that makes me a servant of Almighty God you see you you don't have to you don't have to tell people uh, when when you're a servant uh, they can figure that out pretty quickly you don't have to go around and tell people well you know I'm a servant of God well who are you well I, yeah I'm a servant of the Lord you don't have to tell anybody people watch you and they figure that out so quickly and they figure that out because why because you live in humility you live in you you are always serving you are always taking the, 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 the low road. You are always showing up when, when, when you need to show up. You're always going above and beyond, willing to go the extra mile, willing to do more than you're asked to do. And whenever that is lived out, it says, wow, look at the humility of this person. They don't ever want credit. They don't ever want to be recognized. No, they have taken on the position and the persona of a servant. And that's what James teaches us right from the beginning. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't take uh, my relationship with him. I don't, I don't do anything to puff myself up. I take the position of a servant, and I live in humility. Here's the second lesson that we learn from James, and that's about perseverance. Perseverance, verse uh, two in chapter one, it says, "Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know." That the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Verse 3 says, because you know, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Because you know. You see, we know it, we just don't like it. We know that the testing of our faith is good. We know that hard things are good. We know that tough seasons are good. We know because we, yes, we know it. We just don't like it. And he says that the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. The testing of your faith. One definition of, of the word testing means uh, it's the means by which the presence, quality, or genuineness of anything is determined. I want you to listen to that. The means, that this is the testing of your faith, it's the means by which the presence, quality, or genuineness of anything is determined. And then it says this, a means of trial. Man, it is the trial that proves what is genuine. It is the trial that proves what is authentic. It is the testing of your faith that proves the, the power, the genuineness, the presence of this faith in 
your life. And it is the testing of this faith that produces perseverance. And then the scripture says this, let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance. You have to give permission to perseverance. You have to let it finish its work. You, you, you have to let perseverance run its course. You have to let it happen. Why? Because it's easier to quit in the middle of the test than it is to finish. But perseverance is not in the beginning of the race. Perseverance is not in the middle of the race. No, you have to let perseverance finish its work, and that means you've got to go all the way to the end. I just read uh, today, I was reading about uh, marathon runners, not because I'm about to run one, but what they said was that most people quit in the 20th mile. They don't quit in the first five miles. They're just getting started. And nobody quits in the 26th mile because they're almost there. They quit in the 20th mile. It's the last quarter when they realize, man, I cannot make it another quarter. I've made it this far. I can't go anymore. And they quit in the 20th mile. Why? Because that's when you're getting into real perseverance. And he says, you got to let perseverance finish its work because it's easy to quit in the 20th mile. It's easy, it's easy to quit when you, you've gone far enough to feel pretty good about yourself, but it's not over yet. It's not finished yet. you got to be willing to go all the way to the end, and this is the reason why. Because it says, if we let perseverance finish its work, then we will be mature and complete not lacking anything. If I, if I had you raise your hand to say, do you want to be mature, complete, not lacking anything? Every single person in the room would raise their hand. We all want to be mature, but we don't want to go through the maturity process. I mean, that's what's difficult. We, we want the end result. I just don't want to go through the process to get there. We all want to be complete, but we will feel as if we are about to be crushed before we ever feel we are complete. That's just the way that it works. We all say, I don't want to lack anything. That's what we desire. But it's giving up the comfort to lack nothing that is so challenging. I don't, I don't want to give up my comfort so that I can lack nothing. I, I, I don't want to go through that process. But he says, you have to go through the process. you got to let it finish its work so that you can be mature, so that you can be complete, so that you cannot lack anything. And that's why he starts verse 2 with saying this, consider it pure joy when you face trials. That's why he says it. Because what he says in verse 3 and verse 4, consider it pure joy, because that doesn't make sense. How, why, why, do I, why am I going to consider it joy when I'm going through a trial? That doesn't make sense. But then he explains to me why I need to consider it joy because it's the only way to get to maturity. It's the only way to get to being complete. It's the only way to not lacking anything. 
oh, now I see. I want that. So when the trial comes into my life to test my faith, now I can rejoice in that trial because I know what's waiting for me at the end, and that's maturity and completeness and wholeness and not lacking anything and being who God created me to be so I can do what God's created me to do. So whenever I embrace the trial, I see the trial coming. The trial is knocking on my door. Joy fills my heart because I know what's about to happen, and I'm going to be better off because of it. So he says, consider it pure joy because these trials are taking you closer to the person you want to be. Consider it pure joy because you desperately need this in your life. It might not feel good, but you can take joy because you know it's going to end good. It's going to be good. Perseverance, we see this in James. James is speaking to us, and he's saying, hey, this perseverance, this is an important quality. This is a life lesson. Persevere all the way to the end of every test because it's worth it. It's beneficial. Here's the third lesson we see in James, and that's in verse 5 in chapter 1, and that's belief. Belief, belief. We see this. Verse 5, he writes, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You, you see, he speaks to us about our belief, our belief. And he starts by saying this, if you lack wisdom, you see, that's having the right belief about yourself. Because if you have the right belief about yourself, you will, you will confess that I lack wisdom at times. I don't know everything I need to know. And it is okay for you not to be a know-it-all. It's okay for you not to have all the wisdom that you need, but you have to have the right belief about yourself because if you believe you have all the right answers, then you don't need wisdom. And if you don't need wisdom, you're not going to ask God for what you really need. So you got to have the right belief about yourself. And then you also you, you have to have the right belief about God because he says, ask God who gives generously. If you believe that God's sitting up there waiting for you to figure it all out on your own, saying, I've already done enough for you. I mean, come on, you, you got you to get out there, read some more, do something, do this, do that. You figure it out on your own. You better talk to somebody else because I'm not giving you the answer that you're looking for right now. If that's the way that you believe about God, then you're not going to ask God for wisdom. But he is the God who gives generously. Yes. And then I love that he says, not only does he, does he give generously, and he, he does not hold anything back. And, and it says there in the scripture that he gives generously without finding fault. He's not looking for what's wrong with you. He's not looking for an excuse not to give you something. Well, you know, you didn't get up and pray at 6 o'clock in the morning like you said you were going to do. Miss Goody Two-Shoes. <laughs> he's, he's not saying, you know what, I would give you that wisdom if you wouldn't have spent all Friday gossiping with your coworker. No, I'm, I'm, I'm withholding that. No, no, no. It says that he gives generously without finding fault. He's not nitpicking through your life going, well, let's see how you did on Thursday, and let's see how you did. How's been your church attendance for 2017, and what about this? No, no, that's not how God is. God says if you need wisdom, you have the right belief about yourself that you need wisdom, and you have the right belief about me that I'm a God who gives 
generously and you ask me, then I'm going to give wisdom to you generously and I'm not looking for any fault in you. That's who I am. So James teaches here about belief. We must believe the right things about ourselves. We must believe the right things about God. And the reason that we must believe the right things about ourselves and believe the right things about God so that we can believe for what we ask for. Because if you don't believe the right things about yourself and the right things about God, how can you believe God for what you're asking God for? You have to believe the right things so that you can receive the right things from him. The Greek word for, for that word that's translated in, in double-minded, uh, that Greek word, it literally means having two minds or having two souls. It, it means that we are uh, vacillating between two different opinions. And this is why the verses right before this are so important about persevering to the end so that you can be mature and complete. This is why maturity is so important, why perseverance must finish its work in you. It's why we need to be complete, not lacking anything, because when you lack certainty about who God is and who you are, then the only way you can live is with two minds and two souls. And I go between who I think God is and who God actually is and who God actually is and who I think God is. And I go between who I am and who, uh, who he says I am and who I think he says I am and who I really am. And, and I just go back and forth. I am vacillating between these two things. And I am double-minded in everything I do. That's why maturity is so important because I need to know who he is and I need to know who I am so that I don't vacillate back and forth between these two opinions so that I am not double-minded having two minds and two souls. I know who he is. I know who I am. And I can stand on that firm foundation. But when you live between two minds and two souls, it's going to create instability. It's going to create instability in your own self. It's going to create instability in your home. It's going to create instability in your journey. I want you to notice this, though. Being a know-it-all doesn't create the stability. It is the proper belief about God and myself that keeps me from being unstable. It's not that I have to know it all. You know, when you, having doubt doesn't mean that you know everything. Okay, that's not, that's not what he's saying here. That, that's, not, that's not the point. Because being a know-it-all, that's not what creates my stability. If, if, if I had all the answers, then I would not need wisdom from God. But needing wisdom from God, that's not what causes me to be unstable. And here's the lesson for all of us to take away. Is that I don't have to know what to do all the time to be stable, but I do have to have all the right beliefs. I want you to see that. You don't have to know what to do all the time to be stable. That's not what creates stability. And so many times we can feel that way, right? We can feel like I need to know the answers to every question in order to be stable. Because if somebody asks me a question, it's one of the reasons we don't share our faith, right? Because what if they ask me a question that I can't answer? And when they ask me a question that I can't answer, 
Now all of a sudden, oh, I, I, I feel unstable. No, 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 that, that's not it at all. You, you know where to get the answer from. You know where the wisdom is. And it's my, the right beliefs about God and the right beliefs about myself, that's what keeps me stable. And so when people ask me questions that I cannot answer, and when I come into situations, whether it's in my business or in my relationships, and I don't know what to do, that's not is what's going to create instability in my life. The only way that that I get unstable is when I start losing the proper perspective of who God is and who I am. And those are the things that cause me to be unstable. So if I keep my proper beliefs right, if I keep the right beliefs in my life, then even when I don't know, my life will still be rock solid. I'll still be stable. Well, because I got the right beliefs. That's what James is teaching. He's ta talking about the power of what we believe. You got to believe the right things about yourself and you got to believe the right things about God. And when you do those things, you can live a stable life even when you don't have the answers. People ask me questions all the time. I can't answer. I thought you're a pastor. I am. I can't answer that. I don't know. <laughs> let's move on. I'll get in trouble. All right, let's. Number four De Destiny's here tonight. You <laughs> see? She's keeping me on track. Uh, number four, here's the fourth lesson that we learned, we learned from James. Slow down. Everybody say slow down. slow down. Oh, come on, somebody. Slow down. Number four. James uh, chapter 1, verse 19, he writes, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, say everyone. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, Slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Just slow down. Slow your roll. Slow down with your opinions. Slow down with your Facebook posts. Slow down with your perspectives. Slow down with your point of view. Get off of your soapbox for long enough where you can actually listen to what somebody else has to say. Just slow down. And if you slow down and you just slow your speech down and you slow your anger down, it's going to create the space in your life to begin to hear what other people are saying and you need to hear what other people have to say. If you're the, if you're the one always talking, you're never learning anything. Because you can only learn when other people are talking, when other people are speaking their mind, speaking their truth, speaking their perspective. And we need to slow down. And here's the other reason that we need to slow down, and it's in verse 21. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And I, I want to say it's so prevalent in you, okay? That's what he's talking about here. Get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that's prevalent in you and humbly accept the word planted in you. So he's talking about what's happening in you. Get rid of the moral filth in you. Get rid of the evil that's prevalent in you and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. If you don't slow down, you'll never deal with what's really inside of you. 
Because if you're always talking, chances are you're talking about what's wrong with other people. You're talking about what's wrong with the economy, talking about what's wrong with this church, what's wrong with your cousin, what's wrong. We're talk, if we're talking, we're talking about what's wrong. you got to slow down so that you can realize there is some filth and some evil that is prevalent and present in me. And I need to humbly accept the word that's planted in me. It says here, which can save you. It can save you from yourself. Not just speaking of saving you for eternity like this is going to, like your salvation. No, this word can save you. It can save you from big mistakes. It can save you from horrible decisions. It can save you from bad situations. The word of God gets planted in you and you start getting rid of the filth and you start getting rid of the evil and you start allowing the word that is planted in you to grow in you and mature in you and produce the fruit of the spirit in you, then it can keep you out of places that sin is trying to take you. But the only way that you ever deal with what is in you is when you slow down. You got to slow down. Slow down. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Quick to listen. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes and he says that love is patient, love is kind. Jesus said, love your neighbor. James is just telling us how to practically do those things. What, is it, what, is, what does patient look like? Slow to speak. What, what does being kind look like? Quick to listen. That's being kind. Be quick to listen. How do you, that is love. How do you love your neighbor? Just be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. And slow to become angry. And the only way we get there is if we slow down. So loving our neighbor and, and, and living in the love that the, that the scripture tells us to live in, it happens when we slow down. We all have to slow down. That's what James is teaching us. Here's the last thing that James teaches us, the, the last uh, lesson, and, and that's in James chapter 2. Um, this is probably one of the most well-known. That it kind of captures his his whole his whole writing here uh, uh, in in verse fourteen. It, and he writes this. He says, "What good is it?" And the, it, the fifth point is action. Action. What good is it? He says, "My brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food." If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. 
and his faith was made complete by what he did. You see, this fifth lesson that we learned from James, it has to do with action. It has to do with our faith in action. I love the, the, the message paraphrase of, of, uh, of the Bible. Eugene Peterson wrote this about verse 18 in the message. And I want you to see this because I, it gives such a, a beautiful picture. It says, I can hardly hear, excuse me, I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good. You take care of the faith department, I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith fit together hand in glove. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. He says, hey, you have to have faith, but there needs to be some works that follow your faith. The faith should produce change in your life. It should produce transformation in you. It should produce some action around you. And those things fit together like a hand in a glove. I don't know if you've, if you've had this experience or not, but, but, but there, there tends to be like this, this dividing line, if you would. People that fall on the, the grace side and people that fall on the work side. People that, people that fall into just loving Jesus and just being in relationship with him and that's enough for me. And then the people that fall over here that says, no, we got to do something for God. I mean, if he loved us, we got to get busy with the work. And, and it seems to be two sides. And if you're not careful, it, it can begin to seem like these are two separate things. That, that, that there are this faith and grace people that live over here on this side and they live their life and, they're, and then they're the, they're, there's this hard-working people. They're like, you know, all about the work and building the kingdom and doing all the things that God told us to do. He told us to go, okay? That's not just living in a relationship. I got to get busy or we're building a kingdom over here. How are you just going to do that sitting over there on the floor talking about, oh, we love Jesus. No, we got to get busy. And you got these people and you got these people just hanging out with Jesus. And if you're not careful, it can become a dividing line. And you don't, you don't get to choose one side or the other. You don't get to say, well, I'm a grace person because a grace person better have some works or their faith is dead, according to the Scripture. And you can't just be over here working because if you don't have faith, that's not going to work. <laughs> so there is this combination, this hand-fitting in the glove, if you would, this powerful connection between grace and works, between faith and works, and they go together. And although you might naturally in your heart or according to your personality lean one way or the other, that's okay, but you can't ignore the other side because the other side of that is just as powerful as the way that you lean, and Christianity does not even exist without both of these things, hand in the glove, faith and works, they must be present for the Christian church to go forward in the earth. It takes both. And that's what he's speaking to right here. He said, man, 
There's got to be some action. There's got to be this faith. He started the chapter in verse 1 talking about faith, the testing of our faith. So you know he's not just a works person. He's talking about faith. It was an encounter with Jesus that changed everything for him. It was the grace of God that brought him into relationship. He's not just saying here, oh, it's all about works. It's all about action. No, no, no. There is faith, but the faith must produce some action in your life. I've, I've, I've held on to this definition of faith since, I don't know, probably 20 years. I've defined faith this way, that faith is a deep belief that leads to an action, results in obedience, and must be constantly cultivated in my life. Faith is a deep belief. We understand that. It, that's where faith starts. It starts as a deep belief, but it can't end there. That's not that you're you're selling faith short if you just think that faith is a belief. No, no, no. It's not just believing in God. He said right there, even the demons believe in God. Believing is not enough. It's not enough. It's a deep belief. Faith is a deep belief that leads to an action. It leads to an action. It, It hits our hearts. The first action that it led all of us to is to call out to Jesus. Say, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. That's where it started. It started to believe, wow, he does love me. Wow. Wow, he does have a plan for my life. Wow, he does have a seat for me at the table. Wow. Yes, it led me to the action of saying, please, God, come, save me, rescue me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. That, that's the first action that it leads me to. But then there's more actions that follow. There, there's the action of, of, of discipleship. And, and then it doesn't stop there. It's a deep belief that leads to an action and it results in obedience. Because real faith is being obedient to what God has called us to do. Faith in God is going to lead me to be obedient to God. I'm going to be obedient to his word. That's where faith is taking me in this journey. It started in a belief. It led to these actions. Now I'm, I'm doing these things. These things are now resulting in obedience. But here's the thing about faith. Faith must be constantly cultivated in my life. Faith is not something I had just on the day that I got born again. No, faith must be constantly cultivated. It must be worked over. The ground must be plowed. I've got to cultivate that faith in my life. Why? Because my faith needs to grow. My faith needs to develop. My faith needs to mature. And that does not, I don't get to those places if I'm not constantly cultivating that faith on the inside. That's what James is telling us. He's saying, no, you got to work that faith. You got to work that faith. Don't don't just say, I believe. Don't just just think you're going to pray one prayer. No, you got to work that faith. You got to put some action with that faith. Go ahead and get your hands dirty with that faith. Go ahead and be active. Go ahead, get out there. Trust God. Believe God. Get busy doing the work. Hang on to that faith. And it's that faith that will infuse you with the power you need to do the work that God's calling you to do. It's action. It's action. Starts with humility, that's where we all begin. Man, when the grace of God hits your life, come on. Come on, what, what, what are you going to say? What are you, you going to say when, 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 when grace saves you? What, what can you, you? You have to start like James started and said, God, I'm just your servant. Who am I? Who, who am I that I should have a seat at the table? 
Uh, who am I that I deserve a spot in your family? You, you start with you start with humility. That's where it all begins. Then you then you got to have some perseverance in your life. Was that faith? It's going to be tested. It's going to be that life is going to test it. The devil's going to test it. It's going to be tested. You better have some perseverance because you better you you have to make it all the way to the end. Because you need to be mature. You need to be complete. You need to you need to be whole, not lacking anything. Why? So that your beliefs can be right. So it's so important that my beliefs are right. And I got to go through the process of perseverance so that I can know who God is and I can know who I am so that I can remain stable. Even when I don't know what to do, I can remain stable because I got the proper beliefs in my life. But that only comes from the journey of perseverance that created maturity. And it's because of that maturity. And now I, I know who I am and I know who he is. And because of that, guess what I get to do? I get to slow down. Because I'm so confident. So confident in who he is and what he's made. I don't have. I don't have to be up there speaking, spewing out all this stuff, everything that I know. I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody. I can slow down. I can be slow to speak and I'd be quick to listen because I got the right. I got the right beliefs, and I can s- slow down, get off my soapbox for a little while, listen to some other people talk. Listen to other people share their points of view and their perspectives. And then I got to be like James and say, you know what? My belief is just not enough. My faith is not enough. I got to put, put some action. I got to put some action to this. I got I, I to get busy letting, letting my faith be released into the world. Letting my faith come out through action. You see that? The brother of Jane, uh, the brother of Jesus, became the leader of the church, and you can read all about him. And he sits as the chairman of the council, and they different things you can read about him through the Book of Acts. And he goes from this person that's not believing to this leadership position in in the kingdom of God because he had a powerful encounter with the resurrected Christ. And isn't that what happens to all of us? It's an encounter with the resurrected Christ. And I'm so grateful that he, the book of James, I, I'd encourage you to read it. I encourage you to read the book of James. It's five chapters. You can, you can read it all before you start to go to work next Monday. You can read it all the way through the weekend. Five chapters. I encourage you to read it. I encourage you to read it. And, and I'm so grateful that, that we get those chapters in the book because he had an encounter with the resurrected Savior. Because that's what changes everything. And I say that to say that, you know what, I, I know there's some, some people that you're praying for. There's some people that you really want to see make different choices in life. There's there's people out there that maybe you're related to, maybe you work with, maybe you've been friends a long time. And you, you just, man, it feels like, you know, you've been praying forever and nothing's happening and you've been wanting this forever and nothing's happening. I, I just want you to know that it, in one moment, everything changed for James. One moment. Jesus showed up, boom. 
I spent years not believing in you. I spent years making fun of you. I spent years telling other people that you were a fraud. I, I spent all this time not believing, rejecting you, refusing you. I spent all of this time making fun of you and mocking you. I spent all of this time doing all of these things in one moment with the resurrected Savior. And those nail-scarred hands changed everything. And not only did he receive salvation, he became the leader of the church. And he wrote to us today, still speaking to us today. So that person that you've been praying for, don't stop believing. The person that you've been, you've been longing to see, don't, don't stop longing. Trust that one moment, one day, one minute, one encounter with the resurrected Savior and all of their skepticism and all of their criticism and all of their doubts will fly out the window so fast when they encounter the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Come on, why don't you stand with me tonight? Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, Lord, we, we, we've been challenged by your word. We've been encouraged by your word. And Father, I pray that as we leave tonight, God, that we would take this word in our hearts, Father. And Lord, that we would remember the experience of James. We would, Lord, that we would see his skepticism. That we would see his cynicism. God, that we would see... Uh, Lord, his rejection, but God, that we would see it all turned around because you showed up to him and you revealed your love and your grace to him and it changed everything and it so transformed him and it so changed him, God, that he elevated through the ranks and became the leader of the church in Jerusalem who wrote all of these wonderful things to us today. That today we can leave with a lesson in humility. We can leave with a lesson in perseverance and belief. We can leave here with the understanding that we need to slow down. And that we also need to take action with our faith. We, we get those beautiful life lessons. Jesus, because you showed up to James. The same way that you showed up to him. God, I believe you're going to show up to an aunt, to an uncle. You're going to show up to a mom, to a dad. You're going to show up to a brother, to a sister. You're going to show up to a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker. God, I thank you that you're going to show up. And in your grace and in your power, and Father, in the way that you always do it, you show up. And God, you always show up and pour out your love. And God, I thank you that when you do that, it's going to change everything for the people that we're praying for. And God, I thank you that they're going to leave their mark on the world the same way that James left his mark on the world because Jesus, you showed up to them real, genuine, authentic, full of grace and power. And God, I pray that that's what you do for each and every one of those that we're praying for and believing for today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, 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 and amen. Here at North Point Community Church, we believe in creating Christ-centered, culture-changing community through the message of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your support. If you would like more information, you can visit our website at ncc.team or follow us on any social media platform at CC North Point.